3: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and
5: conditions. 18 plus. Take a short break for NBC News and some commercials. And we will be back right after the break.
4: KCAA Loma Linda. 1050 AM. 106.5 FM. And now 102.3 FM.
2: Special report, coronavirus update. Weighed down by worries of a slow recovery for the economy, stocks fell to their second straight loss on Wall Street. Market reaction followed Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's warning of the threat of a prolonged recession resulting from the viral outbreak.
4: While the economic response has been both timely and appropriately large, it may not be the final chapter, given that the path ahead is both highly uncertain and subject to significant downside risks.
2: President Trump passed his verdict on the latest $3 trillion pandemic relief package proposed by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
4: Dead on arrival, Mr.
0: President. Uh, Of course, Nancy Pelosi knows that, you know, obviously.
2: Trump also told reporters after a meeting at the White House that he doesn't consider a state open if the schools aren't open.
4: Oh, I think they should open the schools, absolutely. I think they should. And it's had
0: very little impact on uh, young people.
2: The death toll in the U.S. from COVID-19 is now nearing 84,000. I'm Barbara Cusack. Ousted federal vaccine chief Dr. Rick Bright will issue an ominous warning to Congress tomorrow if there is not a ramped up coronavirus response, as correspondent Caitlin Collins reports. Basically warning about what's going to happen if this advice that he's offered and that other experts have offered doesn't happen. And he says, quote, our window of opportunity is closing, he says, without clear planning and implementation of steps that I and other experts have outlined, 2020 will be the darkest winter in modern history. Correspondent Diane Gallagher tells us food costs shot up last month amid the coronavirus pandemic. According to the Labor Department, grocery prices went up 2.6 percent on average in April. That is the largest one-month spike since 1974. It was eggs that had the largest increase, 16 percent. And face masks will be required for Uber riders and drivers starting next week. I'm Barbara Cusack.
3: You can tell when something just sounds wrong. Like when you go to the mechanic and hear this.
1: Pass me the torque right? Nope, let me have the flamethrower. Or when you get
3: a TV installed and hear this.
1: I don't think I'm going to be able to do this without a 40-ton wrecking ball.
3: Yeah, that sounds all kinds of wrong. And you know what else sounds really wrong? That the interest you're earning on savings with the largest banks isn't earning you much. At all. Especially when you consider that with a Marcus by Goldman Sachs online savings account, your money could be earning much more interest. Which sounds like this. But hey, if somehow that doesn't sound right to you, well, at the very least, I have a mechanic I can recommend. Open a Marcus by Goldman Sachs online savings account in minutes at Marcus.com. You can
4: money. Comparison made to the three largest U.S. banks measured by total deposits. Rates as of February 4th, 2020 and may vary by state. Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC. KCAA.
1: Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 800 357 1583 today to save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 800-357-1583 to take your call now. Call 800-357-1583. That's 800-357-1583. Again, 800-357-1583.
4: KCAA
5: continuation of the uncommon sense democrat Um, we're running over because of some strange scheduling today so you may get me with uh, my guest Mike Madrid who I'll tell you about in a minute uh, for the next half an hour and then I may join Mark Westwood for the final half an hour (coughs) Um, so we're being joined by Mike Madrid, a very, uh, very simple introduction of him for those of you who didn't hear it last time. He's a longtime Republican political strategist, um, was the political director of the California Republican Party, has worked on many, many campaigns, is now a board member for the Lincoln Project, and very importantly, he's also a board member with a non-profit, I believe he's a board member, for a nonpartisan. partisan um, organization that seeks to get Latino voters engaged, registered, and out to vote. So with that, Mike, let's try to have a bit of a normal conversation about what we were supposed to talk about. Um, Tell me about your days at the California Republican Party and what's changed since then and what hasn't.
0: Well, that's a great question i've done a million media interviews since that time i've never been asked that question um look, the, i was the political director in 1998 up until today that was the last year that the republican party flipped congressional seats from democratically held seats to republican seats uh were, the 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 state was still relatively competitive between republicans and democrats but the bottom demographically was beginning to fall out and it was an issue that I had been raising with Republican candidates and Republican leaders for quite some time. My expertise is actually working with Latino voters and studying Latino uh, demographic changes, politicization, and it was very evident to me that if the party didn't adjust very quickly, it was going to end up kind of extinct or, or completely marginalized. And you know, for the past 20 years or so, 22 years, uh, every election cycle has been a, a slow slide into less and less relevancy. The the one thing that did surprise me, though, Eric, was the complete lack of desire, not ability, the lack of desire to adjust. Um, The party, as it shrank, moderates left the party, uh, people of color left the party. And so the California Republican Party, as it stands today, is over 80 percent white. It's very regionally located. Uh, For the first time, I think, in our entire state's history, there's no Republican member of Congress that represents a district that touches the Pacific Ocean. Uh, so it's moving inland, it's moving to the north, it's very white, increasingly non-college educated, uh, lower income levels, and it likes it that way, and it wants to stay that way. And it's really, I think, a study in a people in decline that have chosen to kind of be, from their sense, martyrs um, by, um, by losing. They've taken on this characteristic of of self-righteousness by doubling down on these kind of outdated ideas, refusing to adjust, and would rather just kind of slip into irrelevancy, and frankly take America and her institutions with her um, on the way out the door. Thank you very much. And so, you know, I've, I've done a lot of studying uh, and research related to that topic specifically recently. But that's the party—the party, the, party, the California Republican Party—is not going to adjust within our lifetimes. It's not trying to. It doesn't want to. It's, it's, it's taken on losing as this kind of righteous identity. And so a lot of the issues that I've been talking about for 20 years have really not only fallen on deaf ears, but the Lincoln Project and its founders have recognized that we have to be part of the solution, and part of that solution is working to undermine and eliminate Trumpism as opposed to Republicanism.
5: So, so before we get off the California Republican Party as an entity in and of itself, I've known Jim Brulte for many, many years and frankly consider him to be a friend. And I got the distinct impression that he was the guy who was trying to um, cause at least some of the ideas that you had, some of the notions that you had brought to the fore to broaden the party and to... I hate to say it this way, but to save the party, I mean, who knew that, you know, the Republican Party in California would end up being less than 24 percent of registered voters? I mean, that's a, you know, when you think about it, that's really a frightening statistic. And I remember, um, before I turn it back to you to respond to what I'm saying, I remember, <clears throat> I don't know if I was, um, it doesn't matter, I remember when probably Brolty's last convention or second to last convention, his executive board or his leadership team or whatever chose to have Steve Bannon and Arpaio come and speak. Now, I'm pretty sure by that point that Senator Brolty was already pretty um, done He had been stymied all along the way from what I could tell. And maybe I, listen, maybe I read it totally wrong from the outside. I obviously wasn't there, wasn't in any discussions. But I remember going and holding a press conference outside the hotel in Anaheim where that convention was and saying to the reporters, they just drove the nail through their hearts to bring Arpaio into Southern California do you not think we're going to use that in every single race where there's a Latino population? Because while while I've never been one to believe that immigration was the primary issue for most Latino voters or potential voters, and I don't think it is. I mean, you're the expert in that, and I will defer. Um, it's still an important issue, and Arpaio represents a kind of a you know a, a kind of a, a, a hideous. Uh, hideous face of that anti-immigrant, anti-Latino sentiment that some Republicans have. And by the way, just so that you know, don't think I don't have some similar commentary (laughs) towards some parts of the Democratic Party about other issues. But um, what is your thought? How how did you feel about Brulte's tenure as chair? And I don't mean to put you on the spot that you have to say something that you'll regret now, but look,
0: look, i i i believe that jim Brulte is still one of the foremost political visionaries in california not just republicans i mean all of california he is uh he was one of very few people in 1996 who uh gave a young latino kid with some really novel ideas myself a shot at working towards implementing some of this creativity, and Jim has been not only incredibly helpful with my career, but he's he's you know opened doors and he's always listened to me. Um, that doesn't mean he's always done what I've <laughs> advised, and that I think is the crux of your question, which is I think Jim, like most informed, sophisticated political practitioners uh knows the party needs to adjust he has said so in both closed meetings and public meetings i don't think i'm getting him into trouble by saying that the problem was for jim at a certain point he realized as the chairman he had a constituency to serve and as i was saying earlier this constituency doesn't care about facts it doesn't care about competitiveness it's not trying to work to build a majority what we're literally witnessing is the fastest shrinking demographic um, encompassed almost entirely within the Republican Party. And it's important because while you hear the American right and the Republicans complaining about the Democrats and their identity politics, the biggest practitioner of identity politics is the Republican Party. It's just the party. The identity is white, you know, old white conservatives. <laughs> it's it's a white nationalist party. It's not unlike The national front in France and you know Jim has had to struggle I think with that he's a good Republican he's a good conservative he stands for a lot of those values but he also realized that there's only so far you can take a horse to water and I think he did as good or better a job than anybody else in the state could have um but the party did the party didn't and does not want to go there this the Republican Party in California is more than happy Uh, crashing and burning and going to the dustbin of history, believing uh, that it is right and righteous rather than trying to actually solve Problems, and that's important because it's not just a story of a party in decline. It's literally the story of a people in decline. All right. And a people in decline take on self-destructive tendencies, and that's what the Republican Party is doing. It's not, the Republican Party is not offering ideas. Every once in a while, we'll come up with a gimmick here or there. You know, a gas tax here. Uh, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, whatever uh, the solution of the day is. Um, but none of them are strategies. None of them are grand strategies. They're all simply focused on trying to, you know, punch through the headlines to, 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 to you know, get, get their names out as individuals or groups for that election cycle.
5: All right. Well, we um, actually, let me do a quick station ID. This is Eric Bauman, and you're listening to the Uncommon Sense Democrat on NBC Radio KCAA. And I'm joined by Mike madrid who I was hoping by the end of this radio show would be a Democrat, but listening to him so far, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm winning the war. Um, Mike, tell us about the Lincoln Project and um, what its purpose is. Uh, you guys have put out a couple of extraordinary television spots or, or internet spots, and I know they went right underneath the skin of the president. Um, but but tell me. I mean, it's about more than just getting under the president's skin. And there's lots of names like Schmidt and others. These are guys who've been around a long time. that are pros. They're not – it's not like – you know, it's not like an insurgent group of kids.
0: No, this is this is the best of the best that, that we have as Republicans. It's George Conway, I think a lot of people know, who's a conservative lawyer, uh, one of the most brilliant conservative – legal minds in the Republican Party or in America today. I, uh, I, def-
5: if- I, I, I I challenge you on that only because I know who he's married to.
0: <laughs> well, he, he's also, you're yeah, right. Uh, there's also Steve Schmidt, who you've mentioned, who ran John McCain's presidential campaign, Arnold Schwarzenegger's campaign for governor, uh, uh, got Alito and Roberts, com- their confirmation campaigns for the Supreme Court. Uh, again, blue chip. There's Rick Wilson, who I think you know is one of the most talented media guys in America, Republican or Democrat. He's left the party. He you know, remains a conservative, but no longer Republican. John Weaver, who was John Kasich's, uh, you know, uh, campaign manager and ran McCain's campaign. President. I was going
5: to say, yeah, I was going to say he was with McCain too. I remember. Yeah,
0: he was with McCain against George W. in 2000. That's where I first met John. Um, Reed Galen, uh, Reed's a longtime political operative, political hand done campaigns all over the country, worked for Schwarzenegger, worked for the Bush administrations, myself here at California, Jennifer Horn, a former campaign, uh, former chairwoman of the New Hampshire Republican Party, and Ron Stesla, who's the millennial, the token millennial in the group who kind of handles our digital. So it's, it's a very small, nimble group, as James Carville calls us. We're kind of this pirate ship of of, you know, uh, prominent Republican elected officials who have decided we are not going to see other elected officials after the impeachment hearing. No U.S. senators, no Republican senators with the exception of Romney, God bless his soul, are going to take the mantle up to protect the Constitution and protect our country. And we also candidly don't see the Democratic Party engaging in a way that we think is efficient or efficacious or impactful. And we decided that Ironically, it would, it would fall in the hands of a bunch of you know rogue political consultants to do what we can to defeat Trumpism and make sure Donald Trump is not reelected and, more importantly or as importantly, root out Trump supporters and Trump enablers in the U.S. Senate so that even if Trump is reelected, we, we can still stop what it is that at least limit the damage that he's doing. So, you know, we've been, we're, we're, good at what we do, Eric. We're damn good at what we do. Uh, it is the most unique effort, probably the most fulfilling effort because I really believe the stakes are high enough that we're, we're, we're working to save our country. We believe that first and foremost, it's painful to, to have to destroy something you've spent your entire adult life and career building. But the, the question between that and my country is, there's no question. It was, it never, none of us paused for a moment. Um, in coming together and signing signing on our names and our fortunes and saying, you know, we'll never work in Republican politics probably ever again. Um, it's going to cost us a lot in a lot of different ways, but the, the stakes are just too it's too high. It's too important.
5: Well, and you know, so- you 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 hit on something there, and I want to I want to grab it for a second because I sort of feel the same way. I think there are quite a number of us within the Democratic Party as I know there are within the Republican Party, and frankly, amongst those who are independents, who got into this game, yes, we're partisans, yes, we believe in the philosophies of our respective parties, but at the end of the day, we're doing this to make a better America so that if our children and our grandchildren have a better tomorrow, and frankly, for those of us who are lucky enough to still have parents and grandparents that their days are better and I know how difficult it is when you challenge an orthodoxy um, you know not being a hard left guy um, but being somebody who ran hospitals and had consulting businesses where I had employees and who ran party organizations for many, many, many years. Um, You know, I kind of understand the concept of having to meet a payroll, and I kind of live this theory that if I want to do all the social good things that I want to do, I got to put, you know, guys like you to work. No, there is a good job for you. I'll sign you up for one if I can find it Um, so that you pay taxes. Because if you don't pay taxes – we can't have cops. We can't have firefighters. We can't have paramedics, and we certainly can't have services to help the homeless, or help poor kids, or to help English language learners, or you know, to to help clean up our environment. And by the way, if the if the Covina, the the Corona virus did anything for us, um, it was cleaning up the air in Los Angeles in a way that I haven't seen since, I mean, I've lived here over 40 years, and the air is the cleanest it's been in years. But I know it's difficult. You start feeling isolated when there is a pop icon of the day. And it's not somebody, listen, I was never a Ronald Reagan fan, but Ronald Reagan always evinced a sort of positivity. Uh, you know, the the, the shining, uh, was it, shining on a hill, shining city, um,
0: city on, city on a,
5: hill. a hill, right, thank you. Um he, he always evinced that positivity, and uh, George H.W. Bush tried. Um, he wasn't as effective a speaker by any stretch of the imagination. It's part of why he um, lost his reelection. And George W. Bush, in his peculiar way, often could connect to regular Americans. I don't think you're I don't think our current president does that, and I think he's an embarrassment to our entire nation, and especially to Republicans who believe, you know, th- that this is their party, and it's great that he's giving them conservative judges and tax cuts, but he's destroying all the underpinnings, the philosophic underpinnings, and one of the things that I I feel about you, and frankly, we were talking about Brolty, who I hope to have on the show in a few weeks. Um, is, you know, you guys are people who can sit down with somebody like me and have a rational, not angry conversation. We can argue and disagree about whether, you know, the $600 extra unemployment payment is a good thing or a bad thing to get people through, but it's a conversation that's based in sort of our respective individual intellects and thoughts and philosophies it's not oh my god you're a you know you're you're a dumb liberal why would you want to spend that money or you're a right-wing fascist why would you want to starve people right that's not the conversation you and i have that's not the conversation that i have with most of my republican friends um i don't know if you got a chance to listen to my first guest Neil zaslovsky who um you know, talked about his transition from being a McCain Republican who helped lead uh, the Southern California effort for McCain in 2000 and eventually became an independent and, and then a Democrat. Um, his frustration was just had him beside himself. So where do you go from here? Because I know you have this big effort to get Latino voters to engage, to register, to vote. What are, you, what are your plans and how do you see your way forward to help fix America?
0: Well, look, I think you articulated it very well. And unfortunately, I think you and I and people like Mr. Brulti and your previous guest are a little bit different than a lot than the vast majority of people in this society today. And that is this. I, I, I want to spend every day of my life working for a better country. Now, if the Republican Party presents itself as the vehicle to do that, I will do that. If it becomes an obstacle to that and needs to be eliminated or destroyed or reconstructed, I will spend my time doing that. I I don't, and and look, I'm a conservative. I'm a classical conservative, but I'm not an ideologue. If you can show me a better way, um, I'm all about it. I, I I don't have to be right and watch people starve or watch children not get an education conversely, you know, I want to have conversations with people who, on the left, I agree with. I grew up in a family of Democrats. The Democrats are not bad people to me. They're not evil. They have a different way of trying to make the world better. But the focus should be on making the world better. How did and you get they,
5: lost, by the way?
0: <laughs> well, my parents ultimately realized that they were more conservative than, than they understood, I think, in conversations with me. And and you know, up until recently, they, they actually started voting Republican. So, but but that but that, that's to the point that is to the point which is if there's a better way or a different way that should not scare us we've gotten to this point where people on the opposite side of the aisle are evil and I think that that in and of itself is the real problem with our democracy at this point is we just we're really it's about Dodgers and Giants fans like a sports game it has nothing to do with with the reality of making the world better it's about you know, beating the other side because we inherently have gotten to a point where we believe the opposite side is the end of the republic. They're trying to destroy who we are and our way of life. <laughs> and and really I think we're all just trying to make a better world. And they're not they're not inconsistent. You can have a better world with not everybody agreeing with you. In fact it is a better world when not everybody agrees with you.
6: Uh,
5: you know, that, you, know you, you you brought up baseball when my mother was a kid she was a Yankee fan. My grandfather was a Giants fan, and my grandmother was a Dodgers fan.
6: There's and of course, all, th-
5: all three teams were, of course, in New York. And um, <laughs> and she said for weeks on end, nobody talked to each other in that house. Sure. Nobody. Well, no. look, we we have we have about we have a couple of minutes left, and I I really I really want to hear. Prop 187 really was a turning point in my mind, and I, 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 this may have to be for another converse, a longer conversation in the future. Prop 187 was really a turning point for Latinos in California. And notwithstanding however people voted on the date of that election, subsequently, almost all Latinos after that, and I say almost all, this probably 75% or more, registered as Democrats. How do you, I I mean, I I know your efforts in that regard are nonpartisan, theoretically nonpartisan, but how do you combat that? Because that's a hell of a legacy. That's a racist legacy, the way it was put forward.
0: Yeah, and I don't think that you do. I think, look, I think there, first of all, first of all, you have to acknowledge it, which is my big issue with the Republican Party today is you're never going to make any, as bad as it was, and look, I spent a decade mopping up the Republican Party's mess after Pete Wilson and after Prop 187. This is 100 times bigger or 100 times worse. The Republican Party is not going to recover with the Latino vote in any meaningful way for at least a generation, probably two beyond this. And by then, its own demographic isn't going to be enough to win national elections. So, look, I'm not trying, as I say, I'm not trying to save the Republican Party anymore. I'm trying to fumigate it. I'm trying to point out this ugliness within the party because that's the only way that frankly, college-educated Republicans who have made this implicit bargain with kind of the non-college-educated Republicans in the group to say, well, you know, the, I, I like the economic policies. I'll put up with Trump. I'll put up with, with, you know, these folks at the rallies. I just want to make sure that the economy keeps going. My business continues. That break is happening. You're seeing it in the polling all over the country. You know, Trump is underwater in the battleground states, and the chasm is with the, the, the differences between Republicans that are educated and those that are not. Right. So, so,
5: so Mike, I'm sorry, you know, we're, we're, we're out of time, but I want to yeah. just say this. I'd like to have you back so that we can ha- continue this conversation, have another half an hour because I think there's so much more that I'd like to have and that I, my audience would like to hear, even though I'm sure just like you'll get some irritation from talking to a Democrat, I'll get some from talking to a Republican, but I don't really care. I think it's important.
4: Plus. To the
5: Uncommon Sense Democrat on NBC Radio KCAA. And this is your host, Eric Bauman. We've been joined by Mike Madrid, a Republican Party strategist for many years here in California and across the nation. And um, we'll be right back after the break.
4: KCAA Loma Linda, 10 50 AM, K292 FQ Riverside, and K293 CF Moreno Valley.
1: California headline news, Los Angeles County Public Health Director Dr. Barbara Freer today clarified her remarks from yesterday in announcing a new Safer at Home order. It
2: will go on and be modified over time uh, as appropriate. Uh, So, again, you know, mirroring uh, what the state is doing, uh, we're using this health officer order. It has a start date of today uh, and no definitive end date.
1: She also announced all businesses in L.A. County would now be allowed to offer pickup and delivery service except for those at indoor shopping centers. San Francisco Mayor Breed also announced a similar revision. This does not include malls, for example, but it does include all retail in San Francisco, and we're talking about close to 95 percent of businesses that have unfortunately been closed. And finally, superintendent of public schools, Tony Thurman, today suggested a staggered reopening of schools, saying he does not anticipate a common opening date for districts. He also said students and teachers will likely need to wear masks when schools reopen. Steve Clawson, California News. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. Soon, you'll have a separate fridge in the basement where extra groceries are exiled forever. Remember that frozen lasagna? Of course you don't. It's been down there since 2008. Good news is it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Piece of cake. Behind the lasagna, it's very old. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
6: Right now, the world feels different as we stay apart to make sure we can safely come back together. Till then, there is something you can do without even leaving your home. Respond to the 2020 Census online, by phone, or by mail. The census impacts where hundreds of billions in federal funding will go for things like hospitals, schools, and roads. Now is the time to go to 2020census.gov. It's as easy as it is important. Shape your future. Start here at 2020census.gov. Paid for by U.S. Census Bureau.
3: From the KCAA Weather Center, I'm Rich Summers. Look for mostly sunny skies this afternoon. Gusty winds at 20 miles per hour and a high today of 73. Some patchy fog later tonight, otherwise partly cloudy overnight. Gusty winds at times and a low of 55. Patchy fog tomorrow morning, otherwise mostly sunny. Gusty winds again at 20 miles per hour and a high of 79. I'm Rich Summers, broadcasting live from the Tri-City Center at the 10 and 210 freeways. We are the Trifecta of Talk in Southern California, KCAA, 102.3 FM Riverside, 106.5 FM Redlands, and The Legacy, 1050 AM Loma Linda, San Bernardino.
4: Talk 102.3 FM Riverside, KCAA, NBCRadioNews.com.
5: I guess we're back together again, folks. This is Eric Bauman. And I'm Mark
6: Westwood.
5: I'm the host of the Uncommon Sense Democrat. Mark is the host of... What's your show called, Mark?
6: <laughs> it's called Community Crossroads. And this is Community. experimental. Go ahead. This is the experimental show today. Uh, we've never <laughs> used this medium before live on the air. You're the first to do this. and so Well,
5: uh, you know, this is, this is exciting, especially because... You and I have, uh, because of technical issues, we have had to use a um, a particular vehicle to communicate that you hate, <laughs> or that 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 is not your favorite. Let me put it that way, yes. this way. And frankly, it's actually worked out really well, with the exception of the fact that I was a dummy and forgot that to switch my headset from. From one device to another, and that's why I couldn't hear anybody at the beginning.
6: Oh, that's what was going um,
5: on. Yeah. yeah, you know. Listen, I, I i won't blame I won't blame our wonderful tech Nick, who uh, manages to have to <coughs> deal with all of this stuff.
6: I got to tell you so, uh, to our listeners who might actually be onto our website and looking. You look great with that peacock behind your head. It looks like the little rays of the peacock. It's like a big hat.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I was I was gonna try to make a step and repeat. I didn't quite know how to do that, <laughs> but look what it actually says.
6: Yeah, hey, uh, yeah, The trifecta of talk, KCAA. Yes, that's a wonderful thing.
5: So I, I, I'm, I'm gonna try to, unless I can have you do it. I gotta find somebody who can make it a step and repeat, like maybe two peacocks and one Eric Bauman logo yeah. alternating.
6: Yeah. And I uh, actually have a, a big screen behind us over here that we can put a peacock on too. But I, I've worked Nick so hard today, and uh, you know I was in there too. Uh, I I got the Zoom thing going, and for a medium that I really don't like, I've really had to adapt and 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 take this on full speed ahead with all these meetings and everything. And I was uh, on last night trying with uh, a common friend of ours, a mutual friend, Carol Rob, trying to get her on. Zoom. <laughs> and she's listening right now by the way.
5: Did 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 you have the chance to uh attend your Zoom class that you
6: were going to attend to? Oh yeah, I have. I've been attending Zoom and practicing with it. That's why we got as far as we did today. Uh but it was not my Zoom account. It was a station Zoom account. And so we we had uh we had to do a a virtual you know Well, you know, we I,
5: I when I hear that Zoom account, I kind of I kind of think about Aretha Franklin, you know, who's Zoomin' who. <laughs> who's Zoomin' who. Yeah. Oh, my. Um, you know, or, or uh, um, th- there's there's a few songs from the 50s with Zoom in it. And by the way, speaking of songs of the 50s, next week I'm going to have an unusual show on my uh, – assuming that uh, all things are normal next week. I'm going to have John Bauman, uh, who is Bowser from Shawanoa, who – uh, some folks know is my uncle he happens really? to be the president of the social security works
6: yeah okay I and, Resist. sorry uh,
5: yeah yeah no 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 <laughs> I, i'll i'll give you a better version of that in a minute <laughs> um, but he's the president of social security works now pack and he has spent i mean the main reason he never retired is you know he gigs all across the country as an excuse to go out and campaign last year he appeared at over 65 or 68 different campaigns, congressional campaigns all across the country, um, trying to help elect Democrats. And it's a little tougher this year since obviously nobody can travel in the same way. Mm-hmm. So he's having to learn how to do it you know, with social media and the like. But the, the reason that I'm having him next week, it was a change in my original plan, is because there's a plan that uh, Jared Kushner, the brilliant son-in-law of <laughs> President Trump, who knows nothing but knows everything. You're one of the um, few
6: people I know that would put those two sentence words together in a sentence with Jared Kushner. But okay, yeah, you You're know, doing it sarcastically, I know.
5: There, my grandfather used to say in Yiddish, "Er weist alles und er weist which means he knows everything and he knows absolutely nothing. <laughs> and there is a um, there is a plan that he circulated that would offer people who are currently on Social Security or who will be going on Social Security in the next five years emergency cash now in exchange for them reducing their long-term benefits.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And that's a very frightening thought because when you think about it, as it is, the average 75 year old, particularly somebody who is a housewife, who has a relatively small Social Security payment to begin with, even if they have their husband's Social Security because of the strange flukes of Social Security, to cut that even smaller, I mean Social Security is their lifeline right. And so mm-hmm. I'm bringing John on so we can talk about that, we can talk about the critical, Congressional races across the country because he engages so much with the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. And, um, you know, we, we have we have uh, a lot ahead of us as Democrats to, A, hold on to the House and, B, take the Senate back. And, you know, I know a lot of people are downhearted because we lost a seat in
6: the 25th, uh, yeah.
5: In the twenty-fifth congressional district, um, that was up for election yesterday. Although we know it was a special election, Democrats have a hard time turning out in those. And in the presidential election in November, turnout should be different. And, and well, hopefully, it's the a
6: highly Republican t- area. And we were COVIDized. Uh, literally, we were stopped from campaigning and had very few options to campaign with. And uh, right.
5: And 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 hope and hopefully our team will have a much more aggressive effort. And there was another congressional seat that was either I think was in Nebraska that we had picked up two years ago in 2018 that we lost last night in a special election. Um, I don't want people to get down about that. And even if you feel frustrated or you think that Democratic leaders aren't doing a good job running these campaigns, the good news is these special elections for Congress are elections for six months. Yeah. And and the big elections are in November, and the one thing we know about Democratic voters is they turn out at a much higher percentage in November, and especially in November of a presidential year.
6: And let's not, and, our listeners, let that go by you. When he said elections for six months, literally they are, because they're just filling out a term for, for vacancies, and uh, you know they'll come back up again and come back around. And so we have an opportunity in six months to take them back up so so mark what's
5: going on in the inland Empire uh, world and in the world of politics in the inland Empire that you'd uh, like to talk about
6: well you know we're all trying to come back in and, and get things going and, and and just like everything you know the National Democratic Party just uh, you know got together and said let's discuss about having a virtual, democratic convention and leave those options on the table so we can plan for it and that's what we're kind of doing too we're, we're figuring out how to go forward how after the election after the election was certified how to go forward create access for everybody create opportunity for everybody you know the zoom thing is everybody loves zoom and you know it's just been plaguing me and i'm like you know because i know the security issues i know the problems with it and i and what i've experienced in the past couple of weeks now trying to acclimate to it It's just this simple. There are people that get it and there are some people that don't. And there's all kinds of problems with Zoom. For instance, today when I tried to log on to another Zoom account, Zoom decided they're going to do an update in the middle of everything. Well, you know, all of a sudden we're updating, trying to get you on, trying to get the right security codes, the right meeting codes, trying to... We did it, but it was a pretty bumpy ride. And that was with people here that, you know, I build radio stations for a living. You know, Nick's very technical. Uh, you're not a schlep when it comes to being technical. You, you're you pretty good. And we were having a difficult time.
5: Play, listen, I just play dumb on TV.
6: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I,
5: I, I worked I work in the most sophisticated intensive care units in, in the country.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I
5: get tech stuff. And as you and I have talked about, um, I started computing – Um, uh, I started computing with the second personal computer uh, chip that existed, the IBM computer chip. Mm -hmm. The first was the 8086. My first computer was the 8088. Now, I want to just run you through this history, not to kill time, but just because it's fun. And because it shows how old I'm getting to be, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. So my very first computer had one five and a quarter inch floppy drive. It had no it had no hard drive. it had nothing. So when you booted up the computer, you would put your so-called boot disk mm-hmm. into the computer. After you booted the computer up and you would get a prompt line, you would take the disk out and you would put your program disk in. And you know, those of us who were lucky had WordPerfect and Lotus One Two Three.
6: I remember this. I worked for an insurance company and my job was to back up the insurance computers' data terminals, is what they were called, every night at like two in the morning. And oh, we onto this, the
5: tape, onto the big
6: tapes. oh uh, yeah. And you know, you had to really know what you're doing. You're using DOS prompts. And, you know, we actually had data packs. They weren't tapes. Uh, we were getting a little bit more sophisticated. It was just like a great big hard drive that looked like a slideshow project- projector. And we'd have, like, banks of these things going back and forth and, you know, copying from one to the other and making sure you don't write over the stuff that was the, the wrong stuff and things like that. It was difficult, but we did it. And very few, you know, but that was the old days, before Windows, before anything, and, you know, the terminal systems even. And so, yeah. So, I know it's so, kind of. so, so we had
5: – I had – that right you would load in your program disk your word perfect or your lotus one two three you would make your spreadsheet in lotus you'd create it then when you were ready to save it you popped out your lotus disk and put in your data disk to save the file so so to work in one program required three disks then we had i had a second computer that had two floppy drives um, so you could put your boot disk in one drive and your program disk, and you could have a separate data disk in the other drive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I finally got a computer with a hard drive, 20, 20 megabyte hard drive. And, man, it was amazing how nice it was to be able to just, you know, have the have the operating system files on the drive and the program files like Lotus and WordPerfect on there. Mm-hmm. Back in 1989, and this is, this is where I'll end this soliloquy, I went to a place called the PC Doctor. I was running a hospital not too far from where you are in El Centro, California, and there was a place called the PC Doctor, and he sold me a, a computer made by a company called Sun Moon Star. It not only had two three-and-a-half-inch floppies, it had a 40-megabyte hard drive and a CD-ROM.
6: 40 megs. Ooh, that sounds like the first personal This computer guy
5: had. said to me, this guy said to me, you could not fill this hard drive in your entire <laughs> life.
6: All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, man, but, but I have
5: a terabyte on my laptop.
6: Yeah. yeah. And I,
5: I have 120 gigabytes on my ipad oh yeah yeah well so you know the world listen the world has changed considerably and you know what technology still rules us we don't rule it like dr fauci says we don't decide the dates of the how the virus is going to act the virus tells us the dates well it's the same thing with these computers man well the only thing These these computer systems tell us everything
6: the only thing it has done is back in the day when we'd have to, you know, send carrier pigeons. <laughs> no, not quite, but, um, you know, it's sped things up quite a bit. And, and for instance, um, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm pretty upset with a, a group called the Daily Coes. Are you familiar with them? Of course. And, you know, uh, the Daily Coes has put out a, a letter, and they're talking about, you know, Justice Democrats holding Joe Biden, Joe Biden accountable. And, you know, they're just giving fodder to the Republicans on this. He appointed this guy, Larry Summers, who is an advocate for Keystone, which I don't advocate. I'm against Keystone. But, you know, Larry Summers is doing something else for his campaign. He's not working on Keystone for Joe Biden's campaign. Yet, you know, Daily Kos is sending this thing out, making it seem like the end of the world. And, you know, I'm really tired of Democrats shooting each other and standing in a circle and shooting each other. We need to hold hands and, you know and undo this horrible orange menace we have. And, and I'm just upset. I unsubscribe from the Daily that goes today. I'm done. And I'm a liberal. Democrat.
5: Well, I, I get, I get their newsletter every morning and I get their political newsletter, which is one of the best recaps of elections and races across the country. Um, but they are certainly to the left of me. um, And I just kind of learned to accept that. Listen, Larry Summers is a controversial figure. When he was the president of Harvard, um, you know, he had some controversial things that happened. And as a Treasury Secretary, some of his policies were pretty, um, what you might call conservative. Uh, But the reality, you know, the reality is... um, when it comes to economics, he's one of the brightest guys around. And what he's advising Biden on, Biden's not going to make him the Secretary of the Treasury. Right. He's advising Biden on economics and the economy. And that's fine. And by the way, anybody, I mean, listen, like it or not, Biden basically is a guy who is a moderate Democrat. So he's more open to hear from. Uh, somebody sense. like Summers That's I just want Trump's to take one exact second I, I want Trump's to take one exact second and say you're, you're listening to uh, NBC Radio KCAA AM 1050 FM 102.3 and 105, 106.5 and this is Eric Bauman from the Uncommon Sense Democrat and you also have Mark Westwood from the Community Crossroads
6: kind of meeting and, in the middle today yeah
5: you know, we're kind of sharing because um, it's a crazy day. And now, by the way, President Trump is going after Dr. Fauci because, of course, he knows better than Dr. Fauci. And he thinks that the schools should be opened immediately.
6: And this makes so my point we were talking about precisely about Joe Biden bringing in advisors who he may not agree with, we may not totally agree with, but recognize that they're intelligent and smart and bright, and they have something to bring to the table. Trump always wants to surround himself with people who 100% agree with him, who will 100% market for him, and that's why he gets himself in trouble all the time. He's always stepping off the cliff because everybody's afraid to counter him. And now we have a scientist with Dr. Fauci who's just giving facts, humbly, I might add, and now we're having problems.
5: You know, I, I, I just have to say, I want to give Nick plaudits. Because he's calling this half an hour the uncommon sense crossroads.
6: <laughs> there you go.
5: And I think that uh, you should give him a raise, and uh, I'll talk to his union agent, his union rep, <laughs> myself. <laughs> so we have uh, Mark. We have about I don't know nine minutes left yeah. or thereabouts. Um, Thank you for else? hosting
6: my show today. <laughs>
5: Yeah, what can, what can I do? You know, I, I I I've gotten a little aggressive in my old age. Oh, maybe I always was aggressive. Yeah, that's that right. was both always to my advantage and disadvantage. To our listeners
6: who may just joined, we are listening to Community Crossroads with Eric Bauman from the Uncommon Sense Democrat. We had a big hoorah with technical problems, so I said, "Take my show today. I'm not using it anyway." Um, and uh, <laughs> and I'm glad to have you. It's always such a privilege and honor to to talk with Eric because he is truly. Uh, uh, really bright light, and I I enjoy uh, talking with him. So continue on. Uh, You said we have about another nine minutes, and and did you have a thought?
5: No. I mean, I I really want to make sure if there was anything that you had planned for today to talk about that was important um, that you did.
6: And and we we have a little bit of time talking about various different issues. There's certainly been a lot of news today. Fauci was one of them. Uh, We just kind of briefly brushed upon that. Um, you know all of the things like Nancy Pelosi has now got uh, another stimulus package, another three trillion dollar stimulus package. She's trying to get through, and and of course the Republicans are opposing that. Uh,
5: oh, and and Trump came out and said dead on arrival.
6: <laughs> uh, you I got
5: know, news for you. That may be dead on arrival, but then he doesn't get anything through. Uh, he gets nothing through the House. Yeah. Let's be clear about this. You this know, is, he, he's, got, he's got to remember there's this, 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 a, this a cost-benefit
6: equation here. And, you know, he needs support from people. He doesn't get it. He's not a uh, – you know, it's $3 trillion uh, coronavirus act aid package for, you know, the states, a trillion dollars, and tribal governments uh, to avert layoffs, another $200 billion <laughs> in hazard pay for essential workers, uh, and it would offer another $1,200 in direct cash – to, uh, to people across the United States. And it's very, very important. You know, Canada, uh, Eric, is giving three $2,000 payments. And I talked about the math on this, and we're still uh, talking about this. It's a little vague, but I talked about it uh, off the air with you earlier yesterday. About, you know, we've had $7 trillion so far. And with the number of people in the United States, if you count every man, woman, and child, not just adults that are able to receive a stimulus check, uh, and then the amount of money that 's been spent, it really comes out to somewhere around eighteen thousand dollars a person and you know you subtract the twelve hundred that we 've gotten or some people have received from that that still leaves you another sixteen thousand eight hundred and where did that go and the obvious answer is that everybody comes up with is to the big corporations and that 's very, very unbalanced and it 's wrong and so you know Chuck Schumer uh, from the Senate. Uh, you know, is, is trying to get them to, to convince them to do this, and you know, he he very warned. He threw you know, threw the warning across the stern of the ship, saying, "I don't know that I would turn this one down, because uh, this one will hurt you." Are you still? Uh, I don't know. You know,
5: it, 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 we're 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 in a very peculiar time. Nothing, nothing seem no, nothing stands up to the usual patterns that we would expect that we've grown up with, that we've lived with, that have always been, um, you know, there for us. And um, it puts us in a really odd place because we're all distraught about the impacts of COVID-19. Right. People are dying. You know, I I, want to reiterate for your Um, You know, for your guests who may not have heard, as of 10 o'clock this morning, um, we had 1,382,000 Americans who were infected and 83,356 who had died. Mm
6: -hmm.
5: In California alone, nearly 3,000 had died. This is really scary stuff.
6: And now we have the young people with the inflammatory syndrome. Uh, That problem, uh, it's arising, first of all, in New York, just like it did in... uh, It's it's similar to something called the Kawasaki disease. Right. It's
5: it's similar to Kawasaki syndrome, which is a syndrome that primarily manifests itself as a dermatologic condition. It's most well-known because it creates sort of tight, slanted eyes. It's strange smile on the face, very taut, features... um, Rash across the body, and um,
6: and they've had a hundred cases of this so far.
5: Yes, only three deaths, but still, that's three mm-hmm. percent. And if, if, you ha- if you have three deaths out of a hundred cases, um, so nobody knows. Nobody yet knows what that means. Nobody yet knows what the uh, what the potential. Um, for us uh, to experience is with that. But it's it's yet another point that shows that all these people who've been running around saying, gee, you see, children are not affected? Nonsense children are not affected. Of course children are affected.
6: And you may not die of COVID. Maybe you're one of those people that are lucky enough, but you could get something like this, or your child could get something like this. You get something called COVID toes. COVID toes is a very strange thing that it, that affects your extremities. And I don't know where that bell is coming from, but uh, that must be something with the wonderful I Zoom. <laughs> I have
5: no idea. I'm starting to wonder if you and I are supposed to be going rounds in a, in a, uh, you know, in a ring. Um, e- either that or I think that uh, Nick, is, uh, our engineer, is no. digging it to try to, you know, jolt us to be aware of the time. Like we have three minutes left. You three know. minutes left. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it is. It's him signaling us. It's kind of like a ship spell. Um, well, you know, the COVID toast thing is very interesting. One of the things that we have learned initially, we thought this was a totally respiratory disease. And what we found is actually, it is a disease that affects the heart can affect the kidneys and liver can affect uh, extremities, it can do all kinds of things. But one of the key things that it does is it it enables the creation of what are called microemboli. Those are little tiny blood clots. And the patients who have COVID-19 who end up with cardiac complications, for example, most often those are caused by the fact that these little microemboli go to their heart. And the people who display the pattern that looks like that looks like a mosaic of glass in their lungs, it is to a great extent caused by these microemboli and COVID toes, which is basically purple mottled toes. Awful same painful. thing,
6: yeah, like frostbite. And this
5: and this is the reason that anticoagulation, using what is commonly known as blood thinners, um, is becoming a standard therapy for COVID nineteen patients. Who are admitted to intensive care units because it prolongs, extends life, and prevents people from, you know, getting blood clots to their lungs it, that are big enough. It, it to, provides to, a,
6: a memoranda of symptoms that are, are painful, uh, are not, um, uh, you know, maybe death, uh, but that. But you know that's the problem. People don't understand. It's not just about dying and people dying. It's about young people, middle-aged people. Anybody can get these symptoms and have a, a real hard, tough time. Just like we've had a tough time today, but we got through it, right, Eric? Uh, somehow
5: we somehow we manage this. And I got to tell you, I want to give a special plaudits to our engineer, Nick Lane. Yeah, he did. A good he's stuff. done he's done a terrific job with you screaming at him and me screaming at him.
6: He got and thirty <laughs> seconds, so we're gonna say, we're there." Thanks, Nick. Maybe I'll talk about a race to you later. Um, <laughs> but we appreciate you, Eric. Thank you. And uh, we'll rewind this uh, next week and uh, uh, we will have our phones fixed, hopefully. And we've now got another medium. And it sounded actually technically pretty good once we got it rolling. So thank you good. for my end of Community Crossroads.
5: And Eric? And from my end of the Uncommon Sense Democrat, you all are welcome every week to follow me and Mark on Wednesdays, July.